Welcome to Starter Set. My name is Ed Sylvester. My name is Sam Bradley. And welcome to the show that takes you deeper into the pages of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I like that. It was spicy. Uh, this week, I have been practicing. Uh, I've taken a leaf out of the book of the bees. And I have been practicing my interpretive dance. Okay. For with interpretive dance, you can convey many messages. How are those two things related? How are those two well, things related? Here we go. This is a factoid. We'll get round to the socials in a minute. Bees <laughs> communicate by dancing, Sam. Did you know this? I didn't know that, but on reflection, it seems like they would make sense. Yeah, they, they turn up and they're like, Yo, uh, Billy, the bee. Where the hell's the honey? And he's like, hang on, give me one second. I'll get my tap shoes and I'll tell you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Sam, if you'd like to put your tap shoes on and tell our <laughs> listeners where they can find out more information about the show when they're not listening to our wonderful, wonderful voices. Um, I'm not dancing for you, Ed. Not again. Never again. Um, <laughs> you can find us at startaset.co.uk. <clears throat> That's our website where you can find uh, the store where you can purchase loads of stuff to support the show and we love it when you do that you can also find all the old episodes you can also find our social links you can find us at starter set podcast on instagram or starter set show on twitter and facebook tippity tabbity tippity tabbity tippity tabbity tip that one was for the bees perfect Thank you, Sam. Now, with that little knowledge bomb for you, ladies and gentlemen, and Sam, so I'm pleased, you know, I'm, I'm educating you here as well as the people. Um, Educate is a strong word, but yeah, go on. <laughs> the We finished um, our previous arc. We're moving on. What are we doing? I'll tell you what. Bang! One shots. That's what we're doing. Oh, it got me. Bang! One shots. So we are, I'll do it every single time. Oh, it got me. Uh, me too. <laughs> we will be looking into the wonderful world of one-shots where you experience... Right, blah. We're coming up to that time of the year, right? We're coming up to the uh, holiday season, starting with, obviously, All Hallows' Eve, through to Thanksgiving, through to all the other ones, and then sort of Christmas, New Year. Around this time of the year, we undoubtedly see, as Dungeons & Dragons players, many, many a one-shot. What is a one-shot, I hear you cry? Well, ladies and gentlemen and uh, gnomes, um, this is where you, instead of have a full campaign, a one-shot is a Dungeons & Dragons session which lasts about four to five, well, four to six hours, right? Um, it's a singular, one-controlled, mm-hmm. um, beginning and ended story in one session, okay? Why does this exist? Right. Number one, it allows you to experiment. And that, do you know what? There's not even a number two. That is the main reason why one shots exist, ultimately. Mm. It's almost like a petri dish, like a test yes, center for stuff. Yes, exactly. So this could be uh, players who have an idea for a um, character that they want to run. So if they're like, oh, do you know what? I've never played a, a rogue. I'd love mm-hmm. to play a rogue. 
and then boom, they can play a rogue. Maybe they want to take a break from the main campaign because it's been running for, you know, seven years and sometimes it's nice to just do something different. Completely fine. Um, it might also be a chance for your DM to play because there are points where obviously, you know, your dungeon master will maybe sit there and go, I can't, I can, but I don't necessarily want to. Can somebody take the, the screen and I, and I can just be you know, flim flam the, the lovable dwarf who hugs everybody because I just get to play for a bit. <laughs> um, it might also be a point where somebody wants to try out their hand at DMing, right? First time DMing can be quite scary. Doing it as a one shot means that you don't commit to a full story. Yeah, now this is how I got into DMing. I made this big, vast city and I created this catch the killer theme plot and I dumped everyone in and it very quickly became obvious that actually I was having a lot of fun with it. I was not good at it, but I was having enough fun and the players, you of which were one of them because it became the campaign that mm -hmm. you play in now, were having enough fun to be like, we'll play this for 13 hours straight and you can find records of that on our Instagram. Let's do more with this because it's a it was a whole city. It's the city of Tarthage and... There's loads of stuff there and there's enough stuff to make it an episodic thing. Whereas one shots are kind of like movies, if yes. you will, which does bring about a change in style, which is something I found out because in one shots, the actions of your players have very little consequence other than in the next three to four hours of play. Episodic stuff. And it, it helps if players know this going in. One week, if you do something silly, the DM's going to bring that back around in the next week, the next week. Whereas with one shots, if it doesn't punish you straight away, it's probably going to be safe to the end or you got away with it. It's a different style of playing and DMing, which, you know, not to be like, oh, in my campaign, but in my campaign, I did the first two and between those two, like a mm -hmm. year had passed. And it didn't really matter because I was setting you guys up for a different... I was ripping off a different TV series or movie <laughs> in the second one. But then, it, thanks to lockdown, it became like a, an episodic thing that we play. So it's just mind your P's and Q's. If you want to turn one into the other, make a big sandbox world. And then in the one shot, lead yes. people around. Yes, exactly. You see what I'm saying? So... The, the nice thing with a one-shot, and, and that's that's one part that we've seen there, is it builds up your confidence to do the main DMing thing, right? Which is categorically what happened with yourself. You did it, and you went, you know what, wasn't too bad. I've got more ideas. I enjoyed that bit. And then you can come back and do that again. And, it's, and it has evolved into a campaign. Yeah, definitely. It's like, I didn't know my arse from my elbow in terms of organizing combat in the first one, which is why there wasn't very much combat. But you go away... And I learnt about combat. And then you come back and it's like, right, I'm going to open... What was the one thing missing from the first movie, if you will? Lots of combat. Cool. I'm going to open my second one with a pitch battle in a deserted mine against a half-orc yeah. riding an owlbear. Yeah, exactly. Done. Uh, which was fantastic. Now, um, obviously part of this and part of the beginning of this, uh, I sort of said that when it comes to the festive season, or holiday season, I should say... Um, we start to see a lot of these come out and it's because I think number one you kind of get in the mood and you kind of want to reflect that in your games right 
And obviously, um, dependent on the day that you're listening to this, but this is being released, I think, on the 30th of October. So we are fully in the All Hallows' Eve uh, spectrum Mm -hmm. by date range, right? So what I'd like to do today Mm -hmm. um, is let's have a little bit of a discussion around quite a classic trope, which is the horror-slash-terror-slash- this isn't going to go well one shot okay we have prepared some stuff and we've got a couple of tropes that we've sort of turned into D&D Ed first blood goes to you my friend thanks um, let me I just need to do a little bit of things there we go wonderful so um, and this 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 is is pulling directly from films okay I'm not going to sit there and be like mm-hmm. everything and you'll find this a lot of the time as well the things with one shots is, is there's no pressure to to be um, profound. It's just we're here for a good time and we're here to celebrate these things which we like about this type of year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's start with uh, the slasher type film. Okay. This is the ooh yeah. This is the here's the one big bad that floats <clears throat> around um, and menaces you from the shadows for most of the thing you're maybe going around and discovering uh his or her victims seeing what the hell is going on having plenties of points you know where you walk into if it's like similar to the texas chainsaw massacre you know you walk into the sort of butchering room and go okay why has this horse got you know eight legs hang on those aren't all horses legs type situation You know, I want to play that one. I, I just want the horse leg murderer. <laughs> but that's that's part of it, right? And then it accumulates into you finding out uh, and and experiencing for the first and probably the last time the big bad killer type scenario. Because the whole reason behind horror and how you run those games, it's about the unknown, Okay. If you turn up and you go and you're like, yep, I'm going to run a horror campaign, and then you present your murderer within the first, you know, 20 minutes, um, and you can certainly present aspects of them, don't get me wrong, a face mm. in a mirror, but that that when, when a player turns around is no longer there, fantastic. But what I mean is is the full interaction. It's it's the, yeah, we found this killer, we know, we know about who he is, um, and, and why he or she does the things that they do, boom, out the window. It doesn't work anymore. As soon as you find that stuff out, there's no fear and unknown there. So what you want to do with this sort yeah. of uh, trope is wait till the end and then show the story, okay? And not have a huge sort of, this is the reason why he does it uh, conversation by insert an NPC that you've not seen or met before because ultimately that takes away that fun. That's the slasher. Sam. I like it. Your go. I, I like that a lot. I like the slasher. It's something that I kind of looked at, but then went in a different way. Okay, so I'm going to give you the destroying an evil in service of evil. So this is the Silence of the Lambs ripoff, if you will, <laughs> trope, I guess. Yeah. So you have this medium big bad let's say it's a cambion something Mm -hmm. like that you're in the right area with that kind of thing and you're called in to get rid of it because you're 
you know, ye old Ghostbusters or whatever the fuck. And you have a brush with this thing. And now as the DM, there's a little bit of jiggery-pokery here because you're going to have to do something that they cannot light up in the first hour or so. It's got to be something that can come in and go, boom, I am have a thing or there's an element about me that makes me a nightmare to fight. Go away and do better. And they do. You, through whatever means, you draw them to this ancient evil, this incarcerated demon, this leviathan type thing. Oh, it's too big to get through the door type thing. Mm. And you say, how do we beat this guy? And he says, well, Clarice, you must... He's allergic to fire. He only goes out on a Thursday. And they go, cool. Don't trust you. And it's a nice moment for your charismatic players to sort of have their moment in the sun if you want a talker or a face man this is how we do it and then they go away and they sure enough they use the big bad's advice and they destroy the medium Mm. bad so called but in doing this and you can homebrew it they obviously then in the third act release your Hannibal Lecter Kraken or whatever and they're like oh shit we shouldn't have done the thing that that crazy old guard was telling us not to do don't trust him he's a bad and he is and we free this thing and boom there's your final battle that's nice the good thing with this trope as well is it can work so nicely uh, with a warlock player if there's a warlock player in the party, mm, really well. That's how you can link that all together, and that's how you can kind of D and Dify that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. Okay. Um, next up, let's crack on with another one. Ah, the impossible choice. Okay, so this one Ooh. is. I wouldn't describe this as a horror-based um, one-shot, more of a thriller. Okay. Um, like that. If we're gonna sort of put things within movies but you know the one that you look you watch because actually scary films freak you the fuck out and you know that you're not going to sleep for days if you watch something okay (laughs) actually i know i've just made a joke there but that is part of um that is also part of running horror-based games and any of you who have who have uh, picked up uh curse of strad will obviously know that there's a small section in there that talks about how to you know, set mm-hmm. horror and make things feel scary and things like that. The use of comedy um, <clears throat> is paramount in doing this stuff because what it does is it highlights when things are bad, they're really bad. If you have points of happiness, you get that diametric relationship of, yay, really nice. Yeah, it's horror is not a thing you do. Horror is the spark you get when you strike two stones together and those stones are in one instance hilarity and joy and in the other instance the unusual the uncanny and when you put them together it's Mm. like when one it's like being in the back of a car when you take a sharp turn right the horror is not the movement it's the feeling of weightlessness and unknown that you get when you shift from one to the other that feels nice um back to back to uh the impossible choice um Mm -hmm. This is one of those ones where typically it can turn out like any other D&D one-shot game, right? You turn up in a tavern, you're contracted by an individual to go and do this thing. The the revelation and the issue is saved until that climactic point 
which nine times out of 10 will be one where both options that you have are not good. And you have to all collectively try and figure out what you want to do. Um, now, let's let's do this as an example, okay? Let's say um, here is, in within your world, within the law, all tieflings, let's say, all tieflings have a link to this uh, floating island of rock and special place. But there is a prophecy that some, in a hundred years, this rock will spawn uh, the world ender, okay, who will consume everything mm -hmm. and remake the world so that only the tieflings can can survive, okay? But okay. in in destroying this rock, which you have the access and ability to at this point in time, you will destroy or permanently weaken all tieflings so that they have maybe only one year to live after this point in time. Both of these options Ooh, are obviously I really bad. like that. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is no, it, I like that. It's, it's like not, the do you want do you want to unplug from the matrix or do you want to stay in the matrix? Uh, perfect, Sam. Sam, you rock one. Show me what you got, mate. Okay, so I've got like one that's kind of two, and it's like two sides of the same coin. So the first one is Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Something's plaguing the city or the town. You are called in to help. You're a ragtag bunch of mercenaries. Not very original, but what it does do as a DM, it gives you a chance to create a load of kooky NPCs that are just fucking fun. And it sets up that cloud of laughter around something that will be, if you're doing your job right, utterly horrific. But on the other side of that, we have got what I like to call the Wicker Man. So you go to a place and mm -hmm. everything's fine. We don't know why you're here. You want to see Egbert de Winter. He'll let you know what's going on. Egbert de Winter. Okay, and everyone's smiling just a little too wide. Because if you don't smile, Egbert de Winter won't be happy. And it's not Egbert de Winter at all. It's an abolith. Oh, but that's your third act. And the second act reveal is Egbert de Winter's dead behind his desk. He's been dead for 10 years. But it's kind of creepy, kind of like Midsummer, kind of like the Wicker Man. Yeah. Everything's too sickly sweet. That feels that feels like a Feywild sort of fallen into mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, come onto this island and Egbert de Winter... <laughs> uh, you know, owns everything. Yes. But doesn't own anything sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. Try the tea cake <laughs> there to die for. To die for. Everyone else you in know, the restaurant sort like of says that. To die, die for. for. Die Hard for. Hard to stop, isn't it? Yeah. Egbert wouldn't like us to stop, Edward. <laughs> oh, no. All right, let's let's um, let's do one more and then I think we can, we can wrap this up mm -hmm. uh, with a little bit of a, a fun thing that Sam's been working on. Um... The final one that I think uh, we need to obviously uh, do a little bit of a call out to because Dungeons and Dragons does this quite well already. Mm -hmm. uh, but we talk about the old body horror trope, right? And when I say Dungeons and Dragons does this well already, um, I'm going to start talking about the Sladdy. So these are the um, the gnome, uh, not gnomes, the giant toady frog things that live in limbo, 
that ultimately either if they bite or scratch you will either impregnate you with a worm which will eventually explode out of your <laughs> chest and you know oh my god you know where that reference is obviously that's mm-hmm. obviously alien um or you slowly transform into one of these things right and you can make that transformation uh, i mean the deer the monster manual says it just happens but you can make that sort of a slow creeping corrupting influence and then you know at the end there is the potential where you have to murder one of the party or at the beginning (laughs) of the session you can tell everybody that some of the players are infected already and then watch as and you know you give them envelopes you you mix up some envelopes and you say you're infected you're infected not know and then so so distrust in the party in the role playing which is quite exciting Uh uh-huh the other side of the body horror stuff is uh, let's take our inspiration from old Frankenstein, Stein, 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 um, and we go, we go, you know, Bananas Wizard uh, is making some horrific, horrible creatures mm-hmm. because ultimately he can, um, <clears throat> and you slowly but surely pick off various players. Not in a way that sounds and feels um, no matter what you do, you're going to get killed. In in ways where if they interact with something, they, you know, they fall through a trap. And you make those traps ultra deadly. And then it comes to the end where hopefully they've made their way through and you swap out some character sheets and go, right, on a roll of one to five, you have control of the... Ooh. You know, of the, the the maelstrom of people and parts that are in there that everybody else is fighting. And you've got players controlling the monster. Like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is exciting. Um, and with that possibly quite horrible image. I do have one more. And it's very quick. I know we're bringing the show to a sort of a close. Mm. But A Quiet Place, the Emily Blunt, John Kranziski movie. Oh, yeah. Do that. Make it magic in make it magic instead of sound. That draws the creatures yes. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic instead of sound. Yeah, that's a nice one. That's a classic. That's what I got. Um so uh, with all of these things, right? We're doing them based around a theme mm-hmm. and or an idea. With that come some interesting points uh when we can start looking at audio based cues. And obviously, uh, <gasps> with Halloween, <gasps> as you can tell, yeah. Sam might be a bit excited about this. There are certain playlists that you can kind of <laughs> riff out. So as such, and because he does it pretty much with every one shot that we do and enjoys it more than I think actually running the game. I mean... Uh, Sam <laughs> has a playlist for you, ladies and gents. I'm not saying that like I enjoy making soundtracks, but... I mean, when I was doing the whole trying to turn players against each other, I listened to the opening bars of the Civil War soundtrack, the uh, Siberian Overture, the sort of, no one trusts each other. My missus got pretty sick of it. So I was like, <laughs> and then he's going to talk to the demon, but he won't tell everyone that he's going to talk to the demon. Da, 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 da. On repeat. So yeah, I think music, and we did do a shout out sort of poll on our Instagram a little while ago and I know you're all out there I know you build playlists for every session I know I do Tales of Tarthage 1 through uh, 19 or whatever it is um yeah so first one you want to bring something unerring into the world something's not quite right 
but it appears to be so, but you know it isn't. Try Requiem 3 from Sp the Space Odyssey soundtrack. It's the song they used in the trailer for the very first rebooted Godzilla movie, that sort of... Something's wrong, but I'm not going to tell you because it looks fine and you know it's not. Something like that. I mean, that's not a direct recording. <laughs> I think they're better. I, I, you know, I didn't want to say it. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's the first one. Um, the Upside Down from the Stranger Things 1 soundtrack also does that. Bow, 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 bow. Bit creepy. No one knows what they're touching, but they know they shouldn't be touching it. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is right? great. Yeah. Um, not... Oh yeah, not to not to knock the nail on the head either, but the monster mash. Just for like, if you meet in a pub at the beginning, we have to kill the thing on the pipe. It just sounds like there could be dwarves in the corner yeah. playing the monster mash if yeah. you listen to the recording. Yes, that's nice, and that works good quite nicely for the um, that works quite nicely for the comedy sort of vibe as well. Or what if something gets loose and no one takes the needle off the record and then it's like, but it's still playing in the fucking background. Yes. As like blood and guts and gore and arms are being lopped off. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, finally, we have, um, if you want something that's like, especially for your Frankenstein one, mm. the Winter Soldier from the Captain America 2 original soundtrack is like give it a listen you got to give it like a minute but if you imagine something is pulling its way kind of haphazardly out of a grave or off like an operating table and it's like i think i was built to fuck you up it's really good for that it's really like panic inducing and kind of distorted in that sort of almost like ambient noise type thing mm. yeah that's Sam's playlist. You'll be able to find them somewhere soon. We might mention it at the end of the show, which I believe is now. It is now. Look at that for a, a smooth transition. You never think we do this. That's my to rap almost name. A hundred episodes. Um, as always, ladies and gentlemen, we have been starter set. If you have enjoyed the show, please do share it on whichever uh, platform you're listening to it to us on. Uh, we always appreciate whenever we see that anybody's done that because, hey, it just means that more people are playing Dungeons and & Dragons. Uh, and also, as a follow-up, um, we're going to start a uh, small YouTube channel. Um, we'll tell you sort of in the future what that's going to look like. But ultimately, that's we'll be able to start posting these little playlists that Sam's talking about so you kind of get a little bit of a taster of that um, as well as some more video content of only bloody me and Sam doing some ruddy stuff. Oh, what a, there we go. Gangy! <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, as always, you've been our listeners. Roll well, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodenty by and by. Edward de Winter says goodbye as well. This episode may never end. <laughs> <laughs>